Hey there, it's Jennifer from Matters of Engagement. We have a special mini-series we're releasing this week, Engaging in Storytelling, a three-part collaborative podcast series with Sporecast, Matters of Engagement, and Pep Talks. We each cover a different angle on patient stories and storytelling, and together all three episodes provide a rich picture of some of the challenges, concerns, and also opportunities when it comes to engaging in storytelling. I'll let Bev Pomeroy take over from here. This one by Sporecast is the first of three, and it's called The Patient Story Experience, Cost or Benefit. I, Beverly, have hosted a conversation between an activated patient partner and a trauma-informed practice expert on patient storytelling, which is quite often the entry point of patient engagement in healthcare. We hope you enjoy it. If you're listening in order, the Matters of Engagement episode is up next, followed by Pep Talks. Hello, and welcome to Sporecast, a Canadian podcast discussing patient-oriented research, research done in partnership with patients. I'm Beverly Pomeroy. And I'm Lisa Ridgway, and we are patient partners who sit on a variety of patient councils and advisory groups, all with the vision to encourage research to answer research questions that matter to patients and aim to improve healthcare. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will be inspired to get involved and create your own impact in order to support healthcare research be more relevant and meaningful. Please enjoy the show. Well, welcome to Sporecast, another episode here of our podcast on the strategy for patient-oriented research. I'm Bev Pomeroy. I am solo today for today's episode, and I do want to acknowledge that I live and work on the unceded and traditional homelands of the Coast Salish peoples here in Tawasin. Uh, and I'm here today with remarkable guest Claire Snyman, an incredible, uh, incredibly activated patient partner, and Merica Cendrelli, who's a knowledge exchange leader and who really stewards trauma and resiliency informed practice. And this episode is one of three uh, in a three-part uh, three series that we're doing with uh, Matters of Engagement and Pep Talks all around engaging in storytelling. And just to kind of give a little bit of backfiller for those who aren't on social media or who haven't seen the conversations, this episode stemmed for me anyways from uh, an opportunity in September that I was given to speak and share my story and my daughter's story at a national sort of event. And um, I kind of put it out there, someone posted on Twitter that I was going to be participating. And next thing you know, there's this huge dialogue on, you know, patient storytelling and, oh, I don't do that anymore. And that's why I wrote my book. And, you know, it really started to make me think of, well, why am I telling my story? And is there harm in telling my story? And I'm here's of losing my daughter. And so I was like, okay, like, what does this mean? And I actually changed my entire presentation for the most part, removed my story. And from that matters of engagement and pep talks, I decided we'd do this three part, three part series. So I just want to say thank you so much, Claire and um, America for being here today. And I know Claire, like you, seriously, you're like one of the most activated patient partners out there. Um, you know, when we think of storytelling, we do it all the time. And do we ever really, I mean, I'm bringing in the word trauma because America's here. Like, do we ever really consider it traumatizing or like re-traumatizing to us? 
I think that's a really good question, Bev, and thank you very much for um, having me here today. It's a pleasure to be here on this really uh, important conversation and topic today. And, you know, I was thinking about uh, sharing story. What does that really look like? Um, and I mean, I've been sharing my story, gosh, since 2016. I was diagnosed with a non-malignant brain tumor in 2010, and I had brain surgery for it in uh, 2012. And so I've been sharing my, my story for, for quite some time. And it's also morphed over that time, um, sort of from sharing it about my brain tumor experience to putting your health in your own hands and advocating uh, for oneself and healthcare system and how it impacts patient experience. And I can say for the majority of the time that I've shared my story, it's it's been a positive experience through the environment and the setting in which I've shared my story. Um, but I must say there have been a couple of times where sharing my story has been a traumatic experience for me. And it's actually only been two times out of the countless times that I have shared my story. And however, those two times really do stand out for me because of the impact that they had mm -hmm. to me as a patient partner. And so my patient story involves medical error. Um, in my patient's story, when I talk about it, um, when in 2012, I became very acutely ill with vertigo, I had this unresolving migraine that would just not go away, uh, despite my GP's interventions. So she sent me to the ER, requesting a CT scan and follow up for my brain tumor. And just to paint a picture for you, so my condition by now, unbeknown to anybody, was that my brain tumor had actually doubled in size and was blocking yeah. the cerebrospinal fluid in my brain. And so I had hydrocephalus and I had an intense migraine, I had vertigo, my memory was starting to go and I was trying my hardest to explain in the ER what was needed. I gave my request forms for the CT scan to the ER doc and I was dismissed by the ER doc. I was given migraine meds and sent home. And so while I'm telling the story, I was questioned twice by listeners and these individuals were from the healthcare system. And I was asked, why didn't you ask more questions and why didn't you demand more when you were in the ER and to be honest this really took me by surprise it stopped me in my tracks and I actually didn't know how to answer this because I questioned myself I it yeah. made me feel like should I've done more but I knew I was actually did as much as I could possibly do in that moment because I was I was actually really seriously ill and it made me feel betrayed by the healthcare system again in that moment but I knew it wasn't me but it felt like another layer of trauma I had PTSD after my surgery because of the medical error and this just felt like another layer another trigger on top so I think there's episodes there when patient partners are telling their story it's their story that it can be a traumatic experience Wow, that's extraordinary, Claire. And uh, we do tell our story a lot and people do get up and ask us questions. But that's that's unbelievable that the onus was put on you. And now bringing you sort of into conversation, America, like I understand there are many ways to understand trauma. And when we're talking about uh, engaging in storytelling and in particular's experience, um, you know, can maybe you kind of help us understand, you know, the ways that we can understand trauma in these particular situations. Yeah, thank you, Bev, and, and thank you, Claire. Um, good to see you both again. You know, how we define trauma has really evolved tremendously over the last two decades as 
I think we're finally not just listening to people with lived experience, but we're actually learning and we're open and receptive. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's becoming, there's quite a few uh, variations of how we explain trauma and which is good because people are unique. Um, one of the uh, definitions that we find most relatable comes from Tara Brock and she explains trauma is when we've encountered an out of control, frightening experience that's disconnected us from our sense of safety, coping, love and resourcefulness. And I think in your story, Claire, by uh, healthcare providers not believing you, um, Mm -hmm. challenging you, um, minimizing or or uh, minimizing what you're saying and and questioning you, um, you know, all of us when we feel that way, not just you, but when you're in a, put in a position where you're quite exposing yourself and putting yourself out there, um, and there's a lot of power in the room, that sense of of feeling out of control, you know, really disconnected the sense of safety and mm-hmm. and people, um, that is one of the trauma effects. So that definition of being disconnected from your sense of safety, coping, love, resourcefulness is really helpful uh, for us, whether we're in the role of, you know, listening to stories as a researcher, evaluator, a service provider, a family member, whenever we can help people stay connected or reconnected to feeling loved, that they can cope, that they feel safe, that they have access to their resources, we are minimizing the effects of trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and why do you also- think it is? <coughs> Sorry, America. So okay. why do you think it is then that when we're when we're sharing our story, I mean we've already gone through our trauma, right? And then we go and share our story. And you know, what is it about sharing our story that is re-traumatizing or yeah. can re-traumatize? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask, actually, I'm going to go to Claire first to kind of uh, ask you and then and maybe I can uh, riff off what you say. How's that? Yeah, Claire. I suppose I really go back to the basis of why we actually share our story. Because for me, even though I had those two episodes where, as I said, I left the room and I actually it dwelled with me for quite some time afterwards because it, it goes to the heart of who you are as to like, well, really, what is this all about? I'm, I'm sharing my story. But as I said, it's a, it's a trauma, it's a trigger. So I think I go back to why to actually share my story and what is it all about? And I think it goes back to the, the issue of human connection. Um, for me, a story is all about uh, conveying an idea. It's all about sharing information and they say that what is it a picture is worth more than a thousand words and I think the same is very true for story Um, I think for me and for many patient partners we come to this space with a purpose there's a why there's something very powerful that has driven us and impacted us um, that we want to share our story and it's what continues us to drive our story Uh, we're hoping to connect whether it's others in a similar situation or we want to inspire Mm -hmm. people or drive change or collaboration. So there's so many different purposes behind why we actually share our story. Um, So I suppose it's that why that's really integral. Um, But I suppose, as you said, is it's then sort of why do we continue to do this even though there is a trauma sometimes that's associated with it? 
Um, and for some people, that trauma can be too much. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that sometimes there is that trauma um, and that patient partners are aware that there can be a trauma when sharing their story. Um, and what does what does that look like? Yeah, over so, to you, America. Yeah, I love, uh, I, I'm, I'm really um, felt quite connected to you when you talked about kind of the sense of relationship and connecting that comes with storytelling. And I think in healthcare, um, you know, psychological, social, ambient, there's many kinds of trauma. Um, and, you know, whether it's, kind of a single incident trauma where, you know, you've been uh, in an accident and have to go to an emergency room that can be quite traumatizing. You've witnessed something um, to complex trauma of living with, with a disease or, or any kind of chronic condition, or, you know, we've got uh, ambient trauma, which, um, you know, comes from uh, being oppressed, you know, whether it's living in, in poverty, um, you know, racism, transphobia, homophobia, all of that is ambient trauma. And, and there's also, um, you know, complex repetitive trauma that happens and, and social trauma, what you've talked about, Claire, where social trauma is probably one of the most neglected and misunderstood traumas, I think, in healthcare. And it, it really comes from the kind of social pain you can experience when you are misunderstood or you're not believed or you have to fight to be who you are or you feel really excluded or you don't belong or you're discredited that elicits a, a response that's really when you look at at uh, scans of the brain the same areas of the brain light up whether you've had physical pain like a severed thumb <laughs> or you've had uh, a severed relationship the same areas of the brain light up, people are feeling immense pain. And I think the healthcare system really has a hard time grappling with that because it's a highly mechanistic system and it's used to being a system where, you know, you can, you see a physical injury, like physical trauma, you see an injury, you know exactly how to fix it. You know, it's highly mechanistic. Here's, here's an injury, here's a disease, here's a pill, here's a process, here's a device. It gets fixed, you can see it, it's very instrumental, it's high task and immediate results. And that's what people go into the healthcare system for, that form of healing. The psychological social trauma that people experience, it's really, you can't see it <laughs> to treat it. And there's multiple sources. And, and it really, um, the healing happens in relationship and in connection and requires vulnerability. And I think that the, the healthcare system, how it's completely structured, um, there really is not a, you know, fertile ground or for this to flourish. And we know, you know, a colleague of mine says that one of the greatest human sufferings is to be deeply misunderstood. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest healings is to be deeply understood. And I think that's exactly what I'm hearing from you, Claire. And when people are feeling misunderstood, they feel pain. And it also triggers and activates a neurological response in us where we feel 
a sense of threat where we don't feel safe, where we don't trust, um, and we have to fight to be who we are. And and that can be quite um, debilitating, not just for the person sharing their story, but it can activate people who are listening that are carrying their own trauma histories. Mm -hmm. And if they're in a position of power, then and and not attending to that, then they can further create a trauma within that in, within mm -hmm. uh, the, for the storyteller. I'm just so fascinated by the whole idea of social trauma. And when we're talking about engaging, you know, in, in story or storytelling, engaging in storytelling, um, because I do, I just don't think, I, I have never really heard that term before, social trauma, and I'm fascinated by it when it comes to patient partners sharing their story. And I know I was sharing my story, obviously, you know, I'm one of the invisible, right? I've got social trauma, I've lost a child, I don't wear a badge, nobody knows. And I was speaking at an event, and afterwards, the, the person who actually was sort of in charge of this entire organization came up and took me aside and was was weeping, you know, this this big man, right? Like this big, big guy you wouldn't expect and was weeping because he had lost a child. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment of my sharing my story, as much as I was riveted and I get blotchy and red whenever I tell my story because it's bringing up all kinds of, you know, memories for me. But this gentleman also experienced exactly what I think you're speaking about, America, is the idea around social trauma. And Claire, I'm just so curious from your perspective, like, what are your thoughts on I mean, the one thing that I wanted to say, and Babe, thank you for sharing that uh, story, because for me, America, what you were saying about the social trauma and then the the, the healing part, what you said about, that was really interesting. Uh, you, you gave a beautiful quote there. And something that just came up for me there, I think, is the one of the reasons, just going back to like, why do we share our story? Um, mm -hmm. I know for me, when I've been sharing my story is when it is in an environment that is positive and embracing, it is tremendously healing. And I actually think, Bev, what you were saying about this gentleman who you connected with from a stage to an audience, for him, you connected. And in that moment, I can actually feel myself like with tears. In that moment, you actually connected with him on a level that for him was acknowledgement of his grief, um, of his trauma that he had been through, and was on a level that was healing for him of acknowledgement of his pain and suffering. And I think when we share a story and we are able to as a patient partner, it is part of our healing process if it is in an environment that allows us to do so. And I think when we are doing that in communities and environments that allow us to do so, we it's not just us that are able to heal. There's often individuals in the environment that we are talking and sharing that it allows them to as well. And I think that's uh, a unique uh, thing about storytelling and narrative is that we're human and that's how we connect is is through storytelling so when we look for those opportunities it's that it's the double side of the coin right it's both sides of the coin is how do we take it and ensure that uh, we are able to use story for both sides for the, the healing of trauma that's existing but making sure we don't induce further trauma as well yeah. Mm -hmm. I love what you're saying. I, guess I think that, you know, we say that education because we're, we, we learn when we listen to stories and, yeah. you know, education can be healing and exactly what you're saying. You know, if we create environments um, where people stay connected or maybe they get a stronger connection to their sense of safety, coping, love, resourcefulness, if we go back to Tara 
Brock's definition, if that happens, it can be incredibly healing, not just for the storyteller, but for the listeners. Mm-hmm. Because I think that um, that kind of bonding, relatability, um, you know, on a neurological level, when that happens, that kind of caring connectedness that stories are a vehicle for, um, you know, neurologically, you know, what's happening is instead of a stress hormone, um, when we're feeling unsafe, which is, you know, cortisol, adrenaline going through our veins, you know, all of a sudden that's replaced when we feel cared for, connected, uh, when we feel relatable, when we feel uh, an incredible sense of, of um in empathy and relatedness, you know, it's replaced, cortisol and adrenaline is replaced with oxytocin and dopamine, you know, mm-hmm. who doesn't want a hit of that, right? It's the <laughs> love drug, you know, we all want that, we crave it. People go to great mm-hmm. lengths to get it, including, you know, taking illicit drugs and fentanyl because they're in so much social pain. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think uh, what you're saying is just really important for all of us to really understand and hear that I don't think we truly optimize the power of of connecting and and minimizing the effects of social pain and and through storytelling I think it is a he, it's an act of healing mm-hmm. and that we have a responsibility to create healing environments for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Well I guess that's my next question to both of you is how do we do that because I think we all know when we're in an environment where we feel safe to share our story. And I think we also are very aware in those situations where, oh yeah, this might not be the best place for this, or I'm not comfortable. And so I guess that's my question, especially in a healthcare setting, which most of you know, we all work in, um, you know, so how, how do we work towards creating a safe space, you know, to tell these engaging, meaningful, you know, influential, informative stories that we all have based on our living experience? Either one of you, like who who would like to give a go at that? I'm gonna turn it to you, Claire, because I'm I'm curious as how mm-hmm. how have you been able to mm-hmm. you know identify a safe space and how have you adapted? Yeah. I think it's a, a really good question because I think there's two two parts of it. Um, I mean, from my side as a, a patient partner, I mean I share I share my story in many different environments. It could be mm-hmm. it could be a brain tumor conference, it could be a medical conference, could it could be a library, it could be a friend of a friend who has a health crisis. So it, there's all many different pockets, and I'm very open to sharing my story. Anything from my brain tumor to other chronic health conditions that I have, I've written a book on it, so I'm I'm, I'm pretty open. But there's certain aspects of my story that I'm not so willing to go into detail on. Um, And that's, for example, my family, because this was their journey too and still very much is. Um, And that's their story to tell if they would like to do so. But I think as a patient partner, it's important to think about when you are telling your story or thinking about telling your story um, to define for yourself, what is my safe space? And where is my safe safe space? And what are my boundaries? And where are my no-go zones? Um, And what does my answer look like if it's a no-go zone? Because believe me, those questions will come up and it's a sense of um, what does that look like if a question comes up? that is not a safe space for you to protect yourself. Um, and what does that look like? How, what does the answer look like to that? Um, and I think from a patient partner perspective as well is, is knowing that sometimes uh, telling a story can be 
emotionally draining and mm. triggering and traumatic and allowing yourself to have a safe space after you have told your story. Some days you may be in a good space, but some days you may not be. And you tell your story because you're driven by why you're driven by your purpose to collaborate, to inspire, to do whatever it is that you are there to do. But some days afterwards or during, you just feel like a ton of bricks are falling on top of you. Mm-hmm. And what do you need in order for you to afterwards to decompress and to feel like you are back in your safe space? Um, and I think that's that's really key uh, from a patient partner perspective. And it's okay if you don't want to share your patient story. That's totally okay. Because one day you may feel like you're going to and you're fine. And one day you may not feel like it's okay. And that's totally fine. Um, so I think it's a sense of knowing yourself and knowing when, um, where, and um, where your boundaries are for telling your patient story from your perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do we saying. do that as organized as, as an organization, America? I mean, you're in mental yeah. health and substance use and the stories that you're hearing and, and you want it to impact change and impact patient care and delivery and the environment they're in. Like, how do we do that within our organizations and our healthcare agencies? Yeah, just building on what Claire said, absolutely. I think I love what you're saying. I think there's there's about four or five things that that I've come to learn from from listening to you, Claire, and other patient partners. And I think the first thing is is that um, as someone organizing or hosting stories or creating the environment for for story sharing, um, the first and foremost thing is I don't think the onus has to be completely on the patient partner to kind of do all the assessing and screening everything. I think that uh, a couple of things here. So I think um, we have to move away from this idea that, you know, uh, we have to understand the effects of trauma and trauma awareness. So I always hear people, well, so-and-so declined to share their story or so-and-so doesn't want to, or so I just think, I, I language is really important for me. And I think um, I use language such as opt out. <laughs> They're opting out. It's not that all of a sudden, you know, we start blaming the individual that they don't have the strength mm-hmm. or they don't have, the, you know, what it takes to share a story or anything like that. You know, it, it puts the, the kind of blame and everything on the, the person that's putting themselves out there. So something is, is, on, is really looking at our language on how we're inviting people um, using things like opt out, learning from the patient partner, like what do they need? Like what what is a safe environment for them? Not assume that you know what it is. Everyone's different. Like what what creates a safe, trust, trustworthy environment for you to share your story? Um, what do we need to know? Um, what do we need to avoid? Like we learn from the patient partner well in advance that we're responsible for co-creating that environment. And in fact, if we're hosting, we are responsible for that. Um, so again, really learning from the partner what's safe, what uh, what would create trustworthiness. I think the other thing is to bring as much certainty and predictability as possible to the person sharing the story ahead of time. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, what the space looks like, who's there, um, you know, what would be some of the questions? How are you going? 
if you're moderating, what are you going to do if someone asks a question that's the no-go zone? Is it on the patient partner to kind of, you know, say, you know, deal with that? Or is the host going to support the patient partner in that? Um, and, and everything about time, room setup, um, everything, bring as much certainty as possible that the patient partner can decide whether they want to continue or opt out or if they can change something I think is really important. The other thing is I think it's about the organizers really there's a responsibility on the listeners <laughs> so it's not just preparing the person sharing the story but preparing the listeners and I think that's really important is about you know again um doing a grounding exercise, a mindful breathing exercise so that people in the audience that are hearing, if they're getting triggered and they have power, you know, they can project that onto the storyteller and create an incredible, violent, harmful, hurtful experience. So I think you have to work with the listeners on, you know, getting a sense of grounding it, a sense of understanding, um, you know, power, understanding, um, again, I'm a strong believer in self-compassion practices. So I really believe the more that we can bring in uh, self-compassion practices for both the storyteller and the listeners, the more we can show up in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, and especially for the storyteller, I think, I don't know, Claire, if this has ever happened. I know it happens to me quite a bit. And maybe I join you in this is sometimes we go back and we, we kind of just dissect what we said and we said, oh, I wish I would have said this or I wish I would have done this or, you know, that inner critic comes out right after or even during sharing your story. And, and we get really hard on ourselves. Like we don't think we're good enough or we don't think we've done a great enough job. And that inner critic can get really loud. A self-compassion practice really helps us recognize that inner critic and, and befriend it and and then say okay you know subconsciously we can say we're really being hard on ourselves right now and you know what do i need right now or you know or there's probably a lot of people in this audience that's listening that are sharing the same experience maybe not the same specifics but they're going through this as well i'm not alone in this so um, and the audience needs to, the people who are listening need to also have that that self-compassion where they get that critical voice coming out where, I don't know if I believe this, why didn't she do this, why didn't she do that? You need to check yourself in too and say, what is that all about? What need do you have that you're projecting on that storyteller? So priming the audience, preparing the audience, supporting the storyteller, understanding what's safe, what feels safe for them. Um, using language such as opting in or opting out um, are all things that I that I've come to learn are, are really essential. I think I'd like to just uh, totally acknowledge the one point that you brought up is about really setting the stage at the event because I think often yeah. a lot of times people are coming in from all different areas and like coming in and it's hasty <laughs> and all that and I think setting the stage and setting the event and the tone for the storytelling or whatever it might be conference where the patient's story is about to be told i think that's really integral and setting a tone of compassion self-compassion for listeners as well as mm -hmm. individual telling the story and what the objective is you know this is not about criticism it's not about etc and so forth i think really drives uh, the understanding of what the role of a patient story is and why 
a patient is here telling a story um, because it often is a it often is a vulnerable place for a patient to be telling a story. And as you said, if there's a power differential in the room and there's questions after, asked afterwards, and I think it's important to, you know, when asking questions in a respectful tone and manner afterwards, et cetera, because sometimes that can be challenging as well. But I think that's spot on is setting the tone right at the beginning. So people just decompress from the five different places they've been coming in, the emails and the text messages, and just take a step down. Um, I think that really can help set the tone. Um, and then also, I think after the event as well, mm. having a feedback mechanism between the patient partner and between the organizer, just to have an understanding of what went well, what worked, what didn't work, what could, what could we improve on going forward for any learnings, I think is, is a really important strategy. Yeah. And I think any... Funny because we sorry just building on that Sarah, is really if if the organizer is getting feedback about the event is really communicate that with a patient partner about you know what was I, I know a lot of times you know people are invited to share their story and there is evaluation data that's never communicated Correct. back to the the person that's put themselves out there Absolutely. and they're kind of dangling out there and I just think that's such an abuse of, of power and abuse of withholding knowledge so that's another thing I want to bring into the conversation mm -hmm. yeah and the other thing too like it's funny because this this um sort of version this first series of, of our three-part series is is really about you know the, the patient story experience and how patient story really is the entry point when I first started thinking about this mm -hmm. uh this topic I thought well entry point entry point to that organization and then being introduced to, you know, this person's experience. But as we're talking about entry point, there are multiple entry points of patient storytelling from what both of you are sharing and the entry point also being that exit point, you know, you know, going off, you know, into your everyday life after your, your, your patient story experience. So it's, it, it, that's so amazing because there are these different entry points that we enter, you know, within organizations or up on the stage or then at question time, or maybe it's an ongoing commercial that we see, you know, within an organization that we see ourselves in time in these different areas. And, and when we're setting the stage for that now, are there, I mean, I know, Claire, you do a lot of speaking on this, as do I in advocacy in St. America, you're doing this too. Are there resources, you know, that you know of that that can help support, you know, organizations or patient partners that that can do this and or reduce harm? Or is it just basically right what we're doing right now, starting to have this conversation and then building it out from here? Yeah, I can start. There, there are some resources out there. I, I just don't think that we've done justice to this area right now so I do yeah. think it needs to be further developed and I think our conversation here hopefully is a springboard that uh, you know invite all of you to start um, you know partnering like connecting with patient partners and patient partners connecting with host organizations to really sit down and 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 build your trauma awareness and and create um, take the trip principle, the trauma-informed practice principles around, you know, uh, safety and trust, you know, trauma awareness, creating safety and trustworthiness, collaborating choice, um, you know, connection, um, all of those, you know, skills building and empowerment, all of those key principles is like taking those and how are you going to translate those in, in, in storytelling and story sharing and, and come up with 
I don't know if it's a checklist or, or guiding principles or, you know, even a, a process that is, is meaningful to, for you and mm-hmm. in, in uh, storytelling and, and, and not only um, can that reduce any harm um, associated with storytelling um, where trauma is activated or, or trauma, uh, a traumatic experience is created. It also, I think the process of developing those principles and those checklists or those steps um, is, is a powerful way uh, to create solidarity and to connection that you were talking about, Claire, that kind of relational healing that can happen. Even the process of creating those tools, I think is, is a great opportunity for you in, in, in creating that solidarity. But there's tip guides that you can uh, look at. Um, I know in BC, the Ministry of Health, there's a trauma-informed practice guide. First Nations Health Authority just released some guiding documents. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are a number, I think if you you know, Google trauma-informed care, trauma-informed practice, you're going to see a number of resources now um, and many more coming each day. Mm-hmm. And I think, what about you, um, Claire, from the patient? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think um, definitely if, if there's, from a health, there's two buckets, I suppose. One is the bucket of, let's say, conference and the other is from the health authority perspective. I suppose from uh, conference organizers, if you're looking at it from a speaking and a sharing of patient perspectives is, um specifically if they are looking at being a patients included conferences, ensuring that there are patients included on the uh, committee that is actually going to be running, um, uh, setting up the the uh, conference and making sure that their uh, patients on board are actually looking at how, how can we best support patient partners that are going to be sharing their story and how do we actually set up a safe environment for that to be happening. On the other side of that as well, how do we support the audience in uh, best understanding and supporting patient partners and also mm-hmm. being listeners in listening to stories? And it's often not just patient partners who are sharing stories. It's other individuals who are sharing stories and being placed in, placed in sometimes situations of vulnerability. So it's a two-way street, really. But how do we set up that optimal, safe environment and non-trauma-inducing environment for people to actually share stories? Um, and then on the other side of uh, health authorities as well, when looking at um, trip guidelines and so forth, how do we make sure that patients, families, caregivers are actually involved if they are looking at uh, trip training um, for staff members? How can they actually be involved in looking at that? What does that look like? What does trauma look like in their involvement in the healthcare system and making sure that there is the patient, family and caregiver voice involved in that implementation at the healthcare authority level? I think that's really important so that you can actually understand what that actually looks like, feels like from the patient, family and caregiver lens. Yeah. And I can just add one more thing because this happens quite, it just happened yesterday. And I wonder if this has happened to you. Um, You know, somebody contacted me and said, oh, I think we need, you know, patient voices and and people with lived experience. We're having this meeting. Um, They asked yesterday for a meeting today. And they said, Marika, can you go and and can you, do you know someone with lived experience that can come to this meeting? And I'm kind of like, it's almost like what you go out to a store and you buy off the rack. You know, it's kind of one of those things where I kind of, and there's no agenda there. I don't even know who's there. I asked all these questions even to even consider it. And they said, well, 
we don't, we'll have the agenda tomorrow morning. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not even going to attempt to talk to someone unless we have that degree of certainty and predictability. And, and, you know, it's 24 hours and you're kind of, you know, people feel that they've done enough just by, you know, creating this space or opportunity, but that's not enough. Like it has to come with a real understanding of, you know, the ambient trauma, the power, the the vulnerability that people putting themselves out there and, 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 you know, you just can't throw people into a culture and environment that is not only sometimes foreign, but an environment that has hurt them in the past, or they felt betrayed, or they felt misunderstood, or they felt harmed by. And um, so I don't know if that's happened to you. I saw some smiles, but... Well, yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think Claire and I are sitting here nodding and like shaking our head because that's what the whole, like to round this whole conversation up as we're sort of ending our, our time together is that's exactly what happened on Twitter. It was a last minute ask and it just, and it just snowballed into this conversation that we're having now with, with the series. But I want to thank both of you so much for being on Sporecast and Claire for being so open about your experience and really discussing, I know, which, which is hard a lot of times for us, but we all want to do it with a sense of purpose. And Marika, just your stewardship in trauma-informed practice to me is just such a beautiful thing. And I'm super grateful uh, to have you both on our show today. So any last words before we kick it off? I think just from my side is, uh, as I said, story is just so very, very powerful to move and shape uh, what we do and looking for supportive environments to do so, I think is really integral, especially in healthcare. So if we can do that, we can create amazing things out of it. So I think looking for ways to do that is really integral. Yeah, I'm going to really riff off uh, your word amazing. I think it's it is truly amazing um, what happens when we connect with such care and love um, through storytelling. And, and because of that opportunity, I think we have a responsibility. It can go, that opportunity can create more pain and suffering, or it can create such amazing caring connectedness. And, and we have the, the power and, and the tools now to, to make, make it a positive experience. So thank you. Thank you both so much. Thanks, Marika. Thanks. Thank you for joining Sporecast today. We hope you will be inspired to get involved and create your own impact through patient engagement in patient-oriented research and help healthcare research be more relevant and meaningful. If you'd like to get in touch with us and learn more, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spore underscore cast. That's Spore S-P-O-R underscore cast, C-A-S-T, hashtag Sporecast. We can also be reached via email at sporecast1 at gmail.com or visit our website, www.sporecast.ca.